Now, by the end of this message, I want us to give a clear biblical answer to the question, to this question, which is in fact on your, uh, on your outline there. How does God want us to relate to non-believers around us? We need to know the answer, of course, because as a poet John Donne wrote, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. That's to say no human being lives in isolation by themselves. And if you are a follower of Christ, you are living among those who do not share your faith in Christ. And so it raises the question, doesn't it? How does God want us to relate to them, the non-believers? This morning, I want us to look at one of the many passages that speak to this question. And I want us to look specifically there at Colossians chapter 4, uh, verse 5. Because, of course, we've been going through uh, Colossians verse by verse, and we have arrived now at verse 5 of chapter 4, which says this, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Making the best use of time. This morning, I particularly want to look at the first phrase, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And this evening, we'll look at the second phrase, making the best use of the time. But that's just that first verse, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. That's how God wants us to live towards non-believers. Paul is saying, all true followers of Christ are meant to live, how? Wisely among non-believers. Now we're going to understand in a minute what that means. But that is essentially what is teaching us. Now I want us to learn this truth that we're meant to live wisely under three important lessons that are in your outline at the back. The first lesson is this. Living wisely among non-believers means remembering we are different from them. That's the first lesson. Living wisely among non-believers means remembering we are different from them. One of my favorite action films is The Born Identity. Right? And I don't know if you've seen it, but if you haven't, the movie basically tells the story of a man, Jason Bourne, right? He's wounded, and while he's wounded, he's discovered floating in the Mediterranean by Italian fishermen. They nurse him back to health, but he can't remember who he is or where he's going, right? Like many people in life. So he soon realizes that people, but then he soon realizes that people are after him, right? So he takes off on a search to find out who he is, right? And why he's being hunted by these people. And the film, of course, is a typical Hollywood blockbuster. A relentless fight for survival. And, and Jason's problem in the film are only resolved once he discovers his identity, really. Or he begins to have a better sense of his identity. He needs to know who he is, basically, to survive. So the, one of the messages of the film, and I think this is the message of the film, is that knowing who you are in life is important. It is important to know who you are if you're going to live a fulfilling life. And of course that is true, isn't it? There is something in all of us that values our identity. Who we are really matters to us. I mean, that's why all of us, every single person in this room has a name. And we want people to know our name. Not only that, we also enjoy telling stories about ourselves. 
how we grew up, and what the, Lord, what, what the Lord is doing in our lives. Our physical identity is so important. All the external things we, God has given us, they matter to us, and they are really important. But in the end, our physical identities, external identities, right, in the end do not really last. The Bible says the identity that really matters is our spiritual identity. The truest thing about you is who you are before God. And all of us will stand naked one day before the Holy God. So who we are before God really is, a, is the most important thing. And what the Bible says is that when God created us, he gave us a wonderful spiritual identity. Our spiritual identity we had when God created us that we were children of God, created in his image. But as you, as you may know from reading the Bible, our original parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God, our Father. We reject our identity as the children of God, and we decide living as rebels. Since then, everybody is born into this world with a different identity, actually. We have, our fundamental identity we are born with in the world is that we are sinners under the wrath and judgment of God. That's the default spiritual identity of everyone. Every human being is born as an outsider outside the kingdom of God, heading for eternal punishment in hell at the hands of God. But the good news of the Bible is that God the Father sent His beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to come and restore us back to God. To take us from being outsiders into insiders of the kingdom of God. Christ on the cross took on that identity of an outsider. Symbolically crucified outside Jerusalem as an outsider. So that all who trust in Jesus Christ can receive a new identity as an insider, as children of God. As the Apostle John writing in his gospel says this, in John 1 verse 11 to 12, verse 12 to 13. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the identity, if you like. Of becoming children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And now this is very interesting. Because what this means is that in the world there are two groups of people. In this room there are two groups of people. There are insiders who truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The children of God. And there are outsiders who are far from God. Even in this room. Even across families. Only two groups of people in the world. And this is the first lesson Paul is teaching us here when he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Paul is saying to the Colossians and all true followers of Christ Jesus here, you are not like the non-believers. You belong to a new community in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, you are the only true community. You are the insiders. The non-believers around you are the outsiders. So do not believe them when they say to you, we are all on the same, we are all on the same boat, we are all just drifting along helplessly like Jason Bourne. Right? No, you are of another world. You used to be like Jason Bourne, drifting out there in the human sea of sin without hope, living for yourself, trying to fight for survival. But God saved you 
He transferred you from the domain of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You are inside us now. You are in Christ. And that was the first sermon in Colossians. You are in Christ. That's your identity. And Paul is saying, keep remembering that you are in an infinitely better position than they have. Not because you are good, but because Christ is good. Not because you deserve it, but because Christ has lavished on you His mercy. He has brought you to be inside us by grace and grace alone. The Christian never claims that he's the best person around. He says he's the most wretched of sinners and the most loved of sinners. God has looked upon us with mercy and he has given us new life in Christ. And Paul is saying, look, living wise among non-believers means remembering we are different from these non-believers. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. You are not like the outsiders. You are insiders. And if you're a true follower of Christ this morning, you sense this identity, this new identity. You sense this new different identity in Christ. Your interests and desires are not the same as they used to be. I'm just telling you what already resonates with you. And even if, even, even if you have always known Christ from a young age, you can remember there was a time when you lived like a world. But now you're growing to trust in Christ more and more. That's a new identity you have in Christ. You are finding all the time that your interests and their desires don't match up to yours. You find yourself you're increasingly at war with the world. Why? Because you are an insider. They are the outsiders. You are different inside. Like that Intel advert, isn't it? Intel inside. Something special that that computer company used to advertise. Well, you have Christ inside. And you are an insider in the kingdom of God. God has given you a new nature by the Holy Spirit. And this nature wants to live a holy life before God. And you sense that. And yet, even though you know you are different from the non-believers around you, you and I sometimes forget this. You, are, you sometimes live like the world. The world tempts you to live as a non-believer does. The world says you must find your identity in things you do. A favorite hobby. Some area of serving in the church. The role you play as a man. The world is saying that's your identity. Now, all those things are not bad in themselves, but they can become a magnet of identity because they give us a sense of purpose and importance in life. But beloved, building our identity in what we do is foolish because things we do always come to an end. At one point, our identity will crumble if we build our identity on things we do. So remember, that's not who you are. In Christ, what he's saying. Now, the world also tries to make you find your identity in things you have. As the unbelievers around you do. This may be a relationship. It may be a job. It may be riches. It may be a new purchase you've got. The world says to you, unless you have this latest outfit, or you own this gadget, or you have this type of house, or your child performs like this, then you are a nobody. 
That's what the world says. It will say, unless you have this career, with this level of money, and live in this type of house, and have this circle of friends, you are a loser in life. You are an outsider, the world says to you. Because you see, the insiders have got these things. But building your identity on what you have, what is it? It is self-worship. It makes you self-focused. And in the end, nothing we have ever lasts forever. Beloved, remember one day you stand naked before God. They usually say of death, sometimes the question is asked, isn't it? I think it was asked of Rockefeller. How much did they leave behind? And the answer was what? Everything. Everything. One day you leave behind everything. And you must stand before the judgment seat of Christ, beloved. You must stand before him without holding on to anything. As a naked soul before a holy God. The only identity that will matter on that day is, are you in Christ or outside Christ? The world also tempts you to see yourself in terms of what you desire. As non-believers do, it says to you, follow your heart. Follow your heart. Or you are what you feel. My beloved, building your identity, building your life based on your feelings, It's not an identity that brings peace. It is empty, you see. It is misery because our feelings in life are always changing. As followers of Christ, we must reject any temptation to see ourselves as non-believers do. To see ourselves based on what we do, what we have, what we feel, what we desire. No, that's not us. Paul is saying, this is not who you are. You are an insider in Christ. Remember that as you live among non-believers, remember that you are different from the people you work with who do not know Jesus. You are different from family members you live with who do not know Jesus. So you can't follow their pattern. You are different even from people in this church who do not know Jesus. We are not like the world, beloved. And living wisely means getting this. It means remembering that we are different from non-believers around us. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. You are, not, you are an insider, not an outsider. Remember that. That's the first thing. Piece of wisdom. Second um, lesson we learned from Poe about what it means to live wisely is this. Living wisely among non-believers means remembering to stay visible to them. We are not like them, and yet we must remain visible to them socially visible to them. You know, Christians often say this, don't they? We should be in the world, but not of the world. Now, to be sure, that popular phrase, let's just be clear, is not in the Bible. It's just what we might call Christianese. It's a, it's a thing we've coined in the church. And I would say, in this case, it is good or true Christianese. It's biblical. Because it fits in with the first truth we just learned. As true believers, we are not like the non-believers around us. We are not of the world. We are distinct from the world. We are a holy nation. A holy people. A new priesthood set apart for God. We are different. So the Christianese is good on that point. 
It fits in with the first truth, but it's also good because, good Christian is, because it fits in with the second truth I want us to look at now, that living wise among non-believers means remembering to stay visible to non-believers. In other words, that God has left us in the world to live among the non-believers, to be sought and light to them. God is not calling us to withdraw from non-believers like Anthony of Egypt who left everything and went off into the desert. No, God expects us to live among them, to be sought and light to non-believers. That's what verse 5 assumes, isn't it? Walk in wisdom or live in wisdom towards the outsiders, towards outsiders. The word towards assumes believers will continue to live alongside non-Christians until the Lord Jesus descends from glory. That's why you should be very careful about this rapture thing. Because God's foundation seems to be that, you know, until Christ comes in glory and we are caught up with him, when he comes to judge, we should expect to continue living among non-believers. And most importantly, we should expect to engage these non-believers. That's what we're expected to do. We are not supposed to be in some sort of separate bubble with them without contact. It's not like we are meant to be in Big Brother house there with the world watching us, right? And we also know they are there, but we cannot communicate for them until Jesus comes. No, Paul's use of the word towards, when he says walk in wisdom, towards, is active, is assuming active engagement. And certainly staying visible to them, they can see us. We are interacting with them. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And of course, this staying visible is in line with what the Lord Jesus Christ taught us in Matthew, isn't it? Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. A very well-known passage. The Lord Jesus told his disciples, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When the Lord Jesus says, you are the light of the world, it means that we must remain visible to the world. We must continue to engage with the non-believers. We must continue to engage the world so that our good works in Christ would glorify God as he uses them to penetrate the darkness in the world. Now, we must be careful about how we engage. And Christians have gone foolish especially on this verse. And we'll come to that as a third point. But we must ensure that we are engaging. We must remain visible. This is what Paul is saying in verse 5. Walking wisdom towards ourselves. He's saying, living wisely means staying visible to non-believers to witness Christ to them, he's assuming. And Peter says the same thing, doesn't he? In 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 12. 1 Peter 2, Verse 9 to 12 says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, insiders, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? Why? 
Well, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and, is, and into his marvelous light. That you may showcase the light and the glory of Jesus Christ to the world, Peter is saying. And then he carries on in verse 10 of chapter 2. Once you are not a people, you are like Jason Bourne, but you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then he says this in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, not like the world, to abstain from the passions of the flesh in the world, which wage war against your soul. The world is at war against your soul, the Bible says. And verse 12 says this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, because you're still living there, among the non-believers, honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You can just draw a line straight from what the Lord Jesus told Peter in Matthew as one of the disciples, straight to what Peter is teaching us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 12. God's design is that as long as you are in the world, you must rub shoulders with people who are unconverted. You must stay visible to them. You must not be in hiding. Now, now it is true that none of us, now we may all say, we're doing that, Chola. we're doing that, right? And to a degree we are. We are staying visible because none of us can physically withdraw from non-believers. We are among non-believers everywhere. We see them at the supermarket. They are our next door neighbors. They are at the school gate. They are in class at school, right? We see them at the shops and gyms, cinema. All around us, on the road, we come across non-believers. And of course, they are in our families. So yes, physically, we, we are visible to them. They can see. But you see, so that's not a problem. As I said, your problem is that I'm not thinking that you're about to join Anthony of Egypt. Or you're about to join the Amish in the U.S. or something like that. Or enter a monastery. That's not a danger for an evangelical Christian. For us, our problem is that even though physically we are among non-believers, we are prone to withdraw socially from them. What I mean is that we are prone to cut off meaningful social contact with them. And the reason we do that is that the sinful lifestyle of the non-believer rightly puts us off. It puts us off. It puts us off any meaningful contact. It's understandable. We we do not want to be corrupted by sin. And so we want to keep non-believers at arm's length if we can. But Paul is saying to the Colossians in verse 5, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Don't run away from them. Walk towards them. Right? Paul is reminding us that our desire to live for Christ necessarily means that we must be socially engaging with them. We must be socially visible to the non-believers. The people around us need to be able to look at us and see us living for God so that we can share the good news of Jesus with them. We cannot do that if we are still carrying on with social distancing which we actually we were doing even before social distancing arrived, right, as Christians. We cannot do that if we're keeping them at arm's length. We must remember that living wise among non-believers means staying visible 
to non-believers, socially engaged with them. Are you a socially visible Christian? A visible follower of Christ is a person who is truly present where they live and work with the love and grace of Jesus. Are you doing that? Staying visible means more, means more than just people knowing you're a follower of Jesus. It means working to, if you like, burst the Christian bubble many of us live in. That Christian bubble living mentality. It means working actively to build friendships with non-Christians so that you can be in position to share the gospel of Christ with them and being intentional about building those friendships with them. What we call redemptive relationships. Staying visible means being what I call the top five of non-Christians. Some of you have heard me use that phrase. Being in the top five of non-Christians. Are you in the top five of any non-Christian person who does not know Jesus? You're thinking, so what do you mean by that? But what I mean is this. Is there a non-Christian you know who would consider you among the first person they would call in a time of crisis? If they had a crisis and they could call five people, the non-Christian, are you in the list of any non-Christian. I mean, if you are, praise the Lord. I mean, that is important. That is important. Because you're staying engaged with them. Just don't get corrupted. We'll come to that in a moment. Right? But for many of us, it's a serious question. Apart from family members, I'm the, we're taking that for granted. Don't say, oh, my child, I'm, in the, I'm always on the top list for my child. He's a non-believer. No, no, I don't mean that. I mean people outside that. That's great. Like you're not at war with your child. But what I mean is, are you in the top five of any non-Christian who does not know Jesus? And sadly, I would say many of us can't think of a single person. Can't think of a single person. Why is that? Because we live in a Christian bubble. And we need to start praying to God to teach us and give us an opportunity to break out of our holy huddle. Pray to God to give you friendships with non-Christians. And to help you invest genuinely in them because you love them and want to see them. Pray to God to give you, to make you like that. Pray to God to give you, to, to, to make you in the top five or someone. I'll just say, if you have that, if you have that, oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Your challenge will be the other way, isn't it? <laughs> the third point we're coming to, remembering you are not of the world. And remembering to not only keep those relationships, but to do them in a way that points people to Jesus. So start praying. And I would say, don't just pray for such non-Christian friends. If you don't have one, or you can't think of one, then try to be in a place where you can meet non-Christians without compromising. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, if you come to our mums and tots here every Thursday, right? Temp time, just give me a plug. You surely meet non-believers. I mean, it still amazes me that many of us in this church don't see that God has sent us to be light in a dark place. And here we have non-Christians who we struggle to engage with on the Broadway and we'll be struggling again. But, but the Lord will help us on Saturday. And here they're just brought to you. 
in your comfort zone, as it were, in the chapel. And you can begin to know one of the mums. Engage them with the gospel. One of the mums actually is my next door neighbor whom I've been praying for to become converted. And she comes regularly and I'm praying she'll meet a Christian in the church that can really get to know her and begin to share the gospel with her. So there are opportunities there, aren't they? Already in the church, easy opportunities to befriend a non-Christian. If you're a man in the church, there'll be another opportunity this coming Saturday. It's a great opportunity. Not only let's not just come here and feed ourselves, right? As it were. It's an opportunity to say, which non-Christian man do I know that I can invite to come to the chapel? That's what it's about, beloved. That's what it is about. Right? So use again, that's the easy opportunity. And of course, there are non-Christians in the church here. Well, you can actually be... Yeah, some people here are not converted, and you can get to know deeper and be more intentional about really sharing the gospel with them. Don't just assume everyone here is a believer. They are not. But are you taking an interest to build that friendship with them? A redemptive relationship. For parents, you can start at the school gate. Instead of just being on your mobile, we're homeschooling now, but when I used to be at the school gate, it buffered me. People are just on the mobile. Now, don't just be on your mobile. Make a connection. Chat to a parent. Deal with a friend. You see them probably every day. Beloved, we have opportunities. Lunchtime at work. Don't just bury yourself in work heavily. Draw near to a fellow teacher over coffee or something. And uh, don't just gossip about how terrible life is at school. Start engaging them in the gospel. I'm not saying teachers do that. We have godly teachers in this church. I just want to say. So this, this, this bit is for those who hear me online, outside there. Right? <laughs> so, be intentional in knowing them. But also, I think you can be more regular in places, in particular places, where friendships are forged. For example, at the library, sports center, local cafe, the park, for those of you who like going to the park. Now, the key point about going to the park is that longevity is key, isn't it? If you walk the dog, longevity is key. You've got to be going to the same place so you can get to meet people, right? And through forging relationship with them as they talk about their dog, isn't the dog nice, etc., uh, etc. Et and if you, don't, if, you, if, you, if you don't want to know about dogs, speak to Brother Rob. If you want to get a dog, one of my pastor friends in the village had to buy a dog because he wanted to get to know people in the village. So my point is that if we love Jesus and we're intentional about staying visible, there are many opportunities. Simply visiting one cafe every time, or Nando's, <laughs> every, not every time, I mean like once a month, you get to know the stuff. I, know, I, I used to know the stuff at the Nando's there quite a bit. And sadly, I can't report any gospel success. But I started. <laughs> I started, right? The chicken, you know, sometimes you get carried away with the chicken. But the point is, the point is, if you are there regularly at the cafe to read, to study, or maybe you just work for two hours on a project, but you're doing that once a month, you can build relationship with the staff or people who come there often. My point is that we need to be intentional in building redemptive relationships. With people, not just with people around there, but also with people particularly we avoid. So I want to emphasize that. 
I am thinking here, there are people we know we can't build a redemptive relationship with, but we avoid them. So, for example, a difficult neighbor, (laughs) right? The family down the road where the kids just never seem to respect anyone, and you're just like, I just want to avoid them, right? Don't. God is not calling you to be like Anthony of Egypt. Move towards them. Walk in wisdom towards them. What about befriending gay people? Oh, Shokora. Shokora. But beloved, this is June. This is June. This is what the world, these are the people the world is thinking about. You must be intentional about that. In fact, you should be praying to know gay people so you can share the gospel with them. And to make you such a person whom the homosexual community would want to know purely because you radiate the love of Christ. Not because you compromise, but because there's so much Jesus in you. They're just intrigued. We must take this issue seriously, beloved. I know we laugh there a little bit, but it's a serious matter. Because will God hear our prayers for gay people to know Christ if we are not willing to love and know them? Some of you who attended a sermon I preached, I can't remember which one was, but I was saying, one of the things that has helped me is that to pray for people who I don't know is that I pray that God makes me to be part of the answer. It's so important that if we pray for people to be converted, particularly the homosexual communities, that we pray to be part of the one, the solution of sharing the gospel to them. Pray that you would be the one God sent to them. Or at least tell the Lord you're willing to be part of that. And I know that if you are at work, you know many. I mean, this is the in thing in the secular world now. So the issue is not that you don't have opportunities. The issue is are you willing to step out in the love of Christ, to know people across um, even those we would be prone to avoid. God will not answer your prayers to save the homosexual community in this country if you are not willing to take the gospel to them. Don't pray about China here if you are not willing to go to China. God regards such things as just pure mockery. We must be willing to say, I'm willing to go, Lord. doesn't mean God is going to send you. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm sure God will find someone else. But be willing. <laughs> be willing. Right? Be willing. If God says you must, you must. Uh, you must share the gospel uh, to, in faraway places. Same thing here. Make yourself available to be the one sharing the gospel. God has left us in the world to tell non-believers that they are enveloped in the darkness of sin. It's a serious issue. And we are to tell them that, and that we are the only light that can break them from those chains is the light of Jesus Christ. We are in the world to remind non-believers that they live in Satan's house of darkness. But Jesus, our great champion, has come to set them free. We live among non-believers to say to them, the dark damnation of hell is real. But Jesus, our redeemer, has come to give them new life in heaven. Our number one calling as as believers under the church is to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. To keep proclaiming the redeeming mercy of God, as Peter reminded us in 1 Peter 2 verse 10. But we cannot do that unless we stay visible in the world. 
We cannot point people to the mercy of Christ if we are not making an effort to know them. And so Paul is reminding us, living wisely among non-believers means what? Two, th- two things. First, we are different from non-believers. And secondly, it means staying visible to non-believers. Now, as we stay visible, socially visible, we must remember the third and final lesson about living wisely. Right? It's very important. And I'll be quick. Uh, I know it's very hot in here. The third lesson is this. Living wisely among non-believers means remembering to focus on pleasing Christ and not non-believers. To remember on pleasing Christ. Now, I know that verse 5 does not say that immediately. But I believe that's what Paul means when he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Particularly that word wisdom. Why do I say that? Because of how Paul has written verse 5. Notice that Paul does not say, walk with wisdom. Sometimes we read it like that. But that's not what he says. He doesn't say live with wisdom. He says walk in wisdom. In wisdom. That's very important. The wisdom here is not like um, a walking stick that we walk with. It is meant to be the road on which you are traveling as the unbelieving world looks on. It's meant to be your life. And that is because wisdom in verse 5 here is the same wisdom that Paul has been teaching us about throughout the letter of Colossians. Particularly at the beginning of chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, just flick over back there. This is important we get this. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 to 10. This is what Paul has in mind, really, about wisdom and its purpose. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 10 says this. Paul is saying he's been praying for them. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you notice there, the wisdom in Colossians 1 verse 9 to 10 is spiritual wisdom. That is to say the wisdom that comes from God the Holy Spirit who lives in every true believer. It's wisdom from above. Not like the wisdom of the false teachers in chapter 2. The, f- the fourth spiritual wisdom. Now this is wisdom from above. And most importantly, notice verse 10 there makes clear the reason why we need this wisdom is what? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In other words, we need to live wisely led by the Spirit of God so that we could grow in allowing the Holy Spirit to apply the knowledge of who Jesus is to how we live in practice. That is what wisdom is. Wisdom is applied knowledge. But what knowledge? It's a knowledge of Christ crucified. It's a knowledge of who Christ is. In other words, living wisely among non-believers means living more and more like Christ is before them. Do you want to be wise before your neighbor? Well, keep growing in being like the Lord Jesus. Because, you see, all wisdom is in Christ. And that's the second reference. 
Uh, we see that in Colossians chapter 2 verse 4. In whom, that is Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, if we ask Paul, how would my life look like? If I ask Paul, how would my life look like? Or if you ask Paul, how, would your life, how, how should my life look like if I lived in the spirit wisdom of Christ? How do you think the Apostle Paul would answer based on what he's been teaching us in Colossians? It's an interesting question to ask, isn't it, if we're doing in Bible study? But if you are, I know some of you haven't been here, but based on what Paul has already taught us, I expect Paul first to remind us that true wise living does not come from the false wisdom of the world, right? The, the, the wisdom of the world, as I said, is described in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 to 23. It is about self-made religion, worldly philosophies of Colossians 2, verse 8 to 10. It's about uh, spiritual deception, man-made worship. That's the world. It's man-centered. Right? But true wisdom in Christ is different. It's living a life that is being rooted and grounded in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, isn't it? Being rooted and grounded in Christ. It is, it is living out of our death and life union with Christ, which Paul goes on to speak about in chapter 2. So Paul would say, it is a life, to live a wise life before non-believers is living a life where we are being conformed to the image of Christ our God and our Creator. As Paul makes clear in, in chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. Right? This is true wisdom. It is you living in a way that shows, that Christ, that shows how Christ himself would live if he was living, if he was in your shoes. That's the key. And then if we ask Paul, how does that look like? Well, Paul would, I don't think he'd be exasperated, but he would say, look, I've already explained, I've already explained, the, I've already given you some few examples of what it looks like. Read chapter 3 again, he would say. He would say, living wisely among non-believers means remembering to focus on pleasing Christ by putting off sin individually and relationally. That's chapter, five, chapter 3, verse 5 to 9. It would say it means putting on our new spiritual clothes described in verse 12 to verse 16, which Brother David read for us. It means doing everything for the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, whether in deed um, or in word or deed, do everything for the glory of Christ, isn't it? That's Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Living wisely among non-believers means remembering to please the Lord as we perform, as, as we live in the role of a husband, wives, parents, children, and all the work you do. And that's from verse 18 of chapter 3 to chapter 4, verse 1. In short, when Paul says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, he's saying to all true believers, live among your non-believers around you, as I said, as Christ would live if he were in your shoes. How would Christ live if he was in your classroom as a student in your secondary school? How would Christ live if he was working in a medical situation where you work perhaps as a nurse there? How would Christ live if he was a t is the one teaching the kids in the class? How would Christ live if he was living next door to a very difficult neighbor? How would Christ live if he was in a church like ours? It's living as Christ himself would live. The point is, the more you grow to be like Jesus, 
the more you grow in living a wise life. No one has ever lived a more wise life than Christ. Our Lord lived a sinless life among non-believers. He did not drink the folly of sin. Christ lived in an unbroken union and fellowship with his Father. And the more you grow to be like Christ, the more you grow in holiness and fellowship with God. And the more you grow to be wise and fulfilled in how you live. Because a wise life is a happy life. And we know that from the Proverbs. Wisdom, Proverbs 1. Wisdom and happiness, they are married together. So today, beloved, remember these three things. Living wisely among non-believers means remembering we're different from non-believers. But that doesn't mean we should hide away. No, the second truth. It means remembering to stay visible to non-believers. Socially visible to them. So we can share the gospel. But be careful. That doesn't mean we should be like the world. Quite the contrary. It means... Remembering to focus on pleasing Christ and not the non-believers. So this morning, resolve, if you're a believer, to surrender yourself to God afresh. Ask him to give you a fresh desire to live wisely. Go to Christ wholeheartedly with a new determination to become like him. And he will help you to grow to live a wise life among non-believers. Remember as you do that, you are an insider. You are in Christ. You are his. And he is yours. So Christ is more than willing and able to grow you to live a wise life. Amen.